Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. Today we will discuss John 15 and why it's so important for disciples of Jesus to stay connected to Jesus. To explain this abiding relationship, Jesus uses the analogy of a vine. This powerful imagery shows the intimacy and closeness Jesus desires of us. He says that without this abiding relationship, we can do nothing. Join pastors Kirk Sexton and Bruce Johnson as we discuss this devotional classic and what it means for disciples who wish to be fruit bearers for the kingdom. Welcome to the Full Dig Podcast. I'm Pastor Kirk Sexton, and with me as always is my good friend and colleague, Pastor Bruce Johnson. It's good to be with you, Kirk. Good morning, and uh, well, good afternoon. Sorry. Good afternoon. Yeah. And who knows what time it will be when people listen to this. That's true. That's very true. Well, um, had a great worship on Sunday. I was, uh, I was in the contemporary service. I thought it was just fantastic. And the music and the traditional services were equally inspiring. And we had a lot of people on our campus, too. So that We was did. Nice. It's getting close to Palm Sunday and Easter. Well, uh, Pastor Steve preached on a familiar text, uh, John 15. He preached on uh, verses 1 through 8. And we'll read a little bit more than that, going on to the promise of joy. That's mm. part of that same section. Okay, good. So I'll read that, uh, John 15, 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Very familiar passage and somewhat vexing because different Preachers and Bible study leaders will take different approaches to this text. You know, when I was a kid, I always heard this image of Jesus as the vine and we are the branches and we're supposed to um, bear fruit, mm-hmm. uh, preached as, well, we need to go and make more Christians. That, that was the point that Jesus is making. But that's not always the way that's taken. When I was in my 20s, I began to encounter preachers that would say, well, the point here is not to make more disciples, but to bear fruit like the fruit of the Spirit. So Mm. it became a lesson in virtue. Mm. And um, we were talking as pastors this past week about how now the text is being preached often as a 
well, Jesus just wants us to be nice. Isn't that the point of Christianity? Mm. Kind of a misunderstanding of uh, the golden rule. Mm. Um, but Christianity calls us to be more than nice. Uh, and so Pastor Steve really was helpful to me in his preaching because he put the focus on abiding in Christ, our mm. connection with Christ. And mm-hmm. That's the um, where Jesus is going in this. Mm-hmm. Jesus nowhere gives the imperative, produce fruit. Mm. Rather, it's more like when he says, you can tell a good tree because it produces a good fruit. In other words, it's about our identity. Mm-hmm. If we're connected with Christ, obviously we're going to be producing good fruit. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was very good. Well, you have um, some other scriptures that sort of speak to that idea of being connected to Jesus. Abiding in Christ, union with Christ, yeah, it's all over the New Testament. Right, being in Christ, yeah. Do you want to start with uh, 2 Corinthians? Yeah, this is a passage. In fact, I use this to introduce um, the call to confession, or the assurance of pardon, I should say, this past mm-hmm. Sunday. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. That's one of my favorite assurances of pardon. Yeah, I'm not what I used to be before mm-hmm. Jesus. Right. Yeah. Another text you have for us is the Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through a baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. And that whole chapter of Romans has all of this language about being united with Christ and what it means and and how it's identity shaping for us mm. as followers of him. And of course, the text that we need to remember here in the upper room discourses is what Jesus says in the upper room in the words about communion. Uh, this is how it is presented in Matthew chapter 24. This is how it's presented in Matthew chapter 26. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken up a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Hmm. So in the very setting where Jesus is talking about vine and branches, he lifts up the cup and talks about union with him that we celebrate every time we take communion. Mm-hmm. Now, Pastor Steve, in his scripture, talked about how the vine was portrayed oftentimes in the Old Testament as sort of negative, wild, um, not producing the kind of fruit that the Lord had wanted. Yes, the vine's often used as a symbol of Israel. And when it is, it's always uh, in a context where there, something has gone haywire, something's yeah. gone sideways. Right. <laughs> so one example of that is uh, from Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21, where God says, I have planted you as a choice vine of sound and reliable stock. So 
the intent of God was to have a a good people to be his people. Mm -hmm. And um, God through Jeremiah continues, how then did you turn against me into a corrupt wild vine? Mm. So again, the image of of vine as a symbol of uh, God's people, Israel, but something has gone haywire. Mm -hmm. Yes, and uh, another image is um, in Isaiah um, 5, 8, um, talks about how the vine is uh, cultivated with effort and hard work and um, and just kind of that process, um, how they're grown on a hill and cleared away from stones and all this effort has gone into, you know, protecting this vineyard, building a hedge around it, um, all that to keep uh, the vineyard safe. Right, so the image that's being used there describes the topography of the land. You, you go out into a field, there are a lot of rocks. Mm-hmm. And so to get the field ready to be a vineyard, you have to remove those rocks. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you do with those rocks? So You build uh, a little little um, fence. or you Yeah, know. you build a fence, and uh, if there are many rocks there, you also build a watchtower, mm-hmm. and that helps give shade for people that are working in the vineyard during the day, but also you can get on top and look around and see if, trouble's coming. Mm. So all through uh, the first part of Isaiah chapter 5, you have this described, uh, this is what God intended, and then something went haywire. Right. But in the part where God intended, uh, there's a description of some of that process of um, how do you build a vineyard in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Isaiah 5, 2 says, he dug it up, that is the, the Lord, uh, the Lord dug up the field mm-hmm. and cleared it of stones and planted it with choices vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Mm. And that's the other thing that you find in an ancient vineyard. You find a, a place where you can stomp grapes. Mm-hmm. So it'd be something carved into bedrock and it'd have uh, little lips on the side so the wine wouldn't be uh, lost. And then usually it has it so it's diverted down to some place where you could catch it all and put it into jugs and start making wine out of those pressed grape juice. So this idea is a a metaphor for their disobedience. They're not following the way of the Lord. Right. And uh, vines, grapes, are one of seven fruits of the land that are talked about in Deuteronomy 8.8. Seven different species of the good land that God was going to give to the nation of Israel. Uh, That verse says, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. Hmm. So uh, a great description, not only of what you'd find there agriculturally, but of the things that you would eat there in an ancient feast. And we'll talk a little bit about that on Monday, Thursday, when we look at the Last Supper Mm -hmm. uh, in our Monday, Thursday evening service. And you remember what happened when the spies were sent into the land and a couple of them came back with a very big cluster of grapes. Do you remember that story? Sure. Yeah. What, what happened in that story? Well, um, I also remember they came with a sort of a bad report. You know, yes. That they're giants. And giants. And apparently there were giant grapes. So the cluster was so big, they had to put it on a pole between two men. Carrying, look at how many... Uh, grapes we could collect there. Those are huge grapes if you need to have a pole to carry them. Yeah, it may have been uh, 
a number of clusters and some other things, but mm. it was impressive, yes. whatever it was. And the idea was that this was the land that they were to inhabit, and it was, as it were, full of fruit and full of uh, the land of milk and honey. Another thing that might help think about what Jesus is, is talking about here is when he talks about pruning. Uh, I inherited from my father a, a tool used to trim the branches off of grapevines, and I showed that to you and some of the other pastors last week. Um, really nice thing to have. It looks like uh, a linoleum cutter uh, that you might find in a hardware store today, but mm-hmm. it's a little smaller blade and made just for uh, trimming grape vines at a particular time of year. Mm-hmm. And then my grandfather on my mother's side, he uh, created a pouch for people going into the vineyards because after you trim the grape vines, you need to tie them to the post or to the piece of wire that's holding up the grapevines for the next season. And so you trim it and then tie up the vines so you have a better harvest next year. And those are the sorts of things Jesus is talking about Mm -hmm. or referring to in in terms of our connectedness. Um, Well, and Steve was talking about roses. And uh, I used to grow roses when I was in Minnesota. And uh, one of the things the pruning did for the roses, he obviously they... You know, they do better when they have um, freedom to grow and to blossom. And But also in, uh, in Minnesota, we used to have this, um, well, fungus. And uh, if, you, if you had a, a, if you didn't prune that away, the air wouldn't get through. And so right. you get a fungus on the leaves. So the air movement, freeing those up. Pastor Steve talked about how they grow in, some branches grow down, so you want to prune all those up and tie, and you would tie up a rose bush in a similar fashion, I imagine. My father was a, he used to grow tomatoes. Right. And he'd grow these beautiful tomatoes, and he would, um, he would be sure to cut off what he called suckers. These were little, little uh, branches off of the, off of the, tomato plant that we're not going to produce any fruit and uh, so you would limit those suckers from taking the nourishment that would ultimately go to the fruit and he would tie us back of course he he would have to tie it with cloth so that you wouldn't damage the the more tender um, tomato plant you know right so those were two images of pruning that I know about in my life you know the great advantage of grapes over roses no thorns with grapes right so yeah very helpful Mm -hmm. very helpful well we've been talking about the vines and vineyards and you have something related to that in archaeology today that's right and this comes from something that was discovered just in the last couple of years they began digging up at a site called Yavne which is uh, near Tel Aviv uh, kind of near the coastal plain uh, of the country of Israel And it's a significant site because uh, when the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, where was Jewish leadership to go? And so they went to the town of Yavne. Mm -hmm. And in the Byzantine period, so we're talking uh, 4th century to 6th century about, it became a site of this huge wine-producing plant where they'd bring in grapes from different places, and they had five different connected um, 
places where they would uh, stomp grapes and put them into clay jars. And they were able to produce uh, the equivalent of 2.5 million bottles of wine per year in the Mm. site. So it's the largest uh, site we have from the Byzantine period of wine production. And discovered because they were expanding a road and getting ready to build near a road and all of a sudden they found this site. Now there are earlier remains there too, remains from the biblical period from the time of the prophet Jeremiah, uh, uh, olive press that was used there, but they expanded it greatly in the following centuries. Hmm. Uh, so a really remarkable thing. They used uh, uh, produced white wine there, but we don't know too much about the wine. It's hard to find a taste that survived from uh, 15 centuries ago. Hmm. But this huge, huge site, and it was just announced in 2021 that they'd been working on this. So during COVID, when we were all uh, sheltered in our homes, uh, archaeological work was going on there in the Holy Land. Where do you think the market for this 2.5 million bottles per year was? Well, uh, in the records of the time, they talked about a wine that was either called Gaza wine or Ash. Ashkelon wine, because it went from those port cities, the port city of Gaza and uh, Ashkelon, mm. went out to the Roman world. Mm. Uh, wine from that very plant there in Yavne was part of the coronation ceremonies to one of the visiting kings. I think that was uh, uh, Justin VI. Mm. It also went as far as England, some of the same wine. And it came in these vessels uh, that were clay a certain shape, so uh, you find those vessels in different parts of the world. But all wow. came from this uh, wine production Interesting. Uh, facility outside of Tel Aviv. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you have anything related to vineyards in our eco-essential tenants this week? Well, we have certainly a lot about our union in Christ and our connection with Christ. The essential tenants uh, really emphasizes that fact. Mm. Uh, so this is from um, a section called... God's grace in Christ. We have two paragraphs there, so I'll read one and you can read the other, Kirk. Okay. Those who are united through faith with Jesus Christ are fully forgiven from all our sins, so that there is indeed a new creation. We are declared justified, not because of any good that we have done, but only because of God's grace extended to us in Jesus Christ. In union with Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are brought into right relation with the Father, who receives us as his adopted children. Oh, that's great. The second paragraph says, Jesus Christ is the only way to this adoption, the sole path by which sinners become children of God. For he is the only begotten Son, and it is only in union with him that a believer is able to know God as Father. Only in Jesus Christ is the truth about the triune God fully and perfectly revealed. For only he is the truth. Only he has seen the Father, and only he can make the Father known. Only Jesus Christ is the new life that is offered. For he is the bread from heaven and the fountain of living water, the one by whom all things were made, in whom all things hold together. So not only talking about our union with Christ, but the uniqueness of Christ and what he has done for us. That's very good. They've done such a great job on writing those uh, essential tenets. Yeah, it really speaks to the uh, person today in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You have always provided us with a C.S. Lewis quote. 
What do you have for us today, Bruce? Well, I took a quote from C.S. Lewis that relates to uh, the idea of pruning. And sometimes, you know, God does things in our lives that feel uncomfortable. And later on, we see the wisdom in that. So this is from Lewis's book, Grief Observed. This was his uh, way, literary way to work out the grief he had over his wife's death. Mm. So Lewis writes, The more we believe that God hurts only to heal, the less we can believe that there is any use in begging for tenderness. A cruel man might be bribed, but suppose that you are up against a surgeon whose intentions are wholly good. The kinder and more conscientious he is, the more inexorably he will go on cutting. If he yielded to your entreaties, if he stopped before the operation was complete, all the pain up to that point would have been useless. But it is credible that such extremities of torture should be necessary for us? Well, take your choice. The tortures occur. If they are unnecessary, then there is no God or a bad one. But if there is a good God, then these tortures are necessary. For no even moderately good being could possibly inflict or permit them if they weren't. Either way, we're in for it. Mm. So a rather sobering way that he thought about his wife's death. You know, if, if there's some good that's going to come out of this, it's no use asking God to spare that good. Mm-hmm. God is doing something, and, and we best get through it. Yeah, that's a very graphic way to describe it. It is. Well, well, Kirk, often we have a quote from our Reform heritage. Were you able to find a quote that uh, would illuminate this connection with Christ and the pruning and all that? Well, I think so. You know that I'm a fan of Richard Phillips. He's a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor and author. And this is from his uh, commentary on John. I just thought it might add some layers to our discussion. He says, when we consider the life of Jesus, we can see in how many ways the true vine is an apt emblem for our Lord. The vine grows from a modest beginning to display great beauty with its leaves and grapes. So also does Jesus overflow with a beautiful character and love. Just as the vine is the source of life for its branches, Jesus is the true vine, the source of true and everlasting life for those who believe. Jesus taught, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, just as the fruit of the vine brings joy and refreshment to the hearts of men. Jesus came to give true joy and spiritual rest to heavy-laden hearts. Moreover, the wine that comes from the vine was the emblem that Jesus used that evening for blood he would shed to cleanse us from our sins. As the true vine, he provides his blood as the source of the new life for believers. So nothing at all nice about that, but something of great comfort and joy for us if we take it in. It just kind of speaks to that connection the needing to be connected to that true vine. Yeah, it's not what we have done or haven't done. It's what Christ has done for us. Mm. Yeah. Well, how should we pray today, Bruce? Well, I'll, I'll close in prayer, okay. asking God to help us as he continues to make us apt branches mm. for what he's doing. Very good. Lord God, we thank you for Jesus, and we thank you that we're connected with him.
connected to him. Our life is hid now with Christ. Lord, um, as we go through things, as you continue to mold and shape us, as we continue to be your people, be with us in uh, times that are difficult. Be with us in times of joy and rejoicing. Lord, you love us. You care for us. Let that thought be a joy for us this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you, Kirk. Thank you.